Josh Neighbors. Josh, good morning. How are you, buddy? Appreciate your time. I'm well, gentlemen. How are you guys doing? Doing great. We appreciate uh, appreciate your patience uh, this morning. Uh, we we uh, we were talking about it this morning. We we all kind of expected three, maybe even four teams in the uh, NCAA tournament into the round of sixteen. Not sure we had Iowa State penciled in as one of those three teams. No, but what's interesting about it was I was going through every single Big 12 team's path to Final Four last week, and what I found interesting was I actually thought out of the bottom three teams, so Texas, Iowa State, and TCU, I actually liked Iowa State's path to the Sweet 16 the best. I thought that because they were playing LSU with no coach and then they were going to play uh, Wisconsin or Colgate, with a potentially, you know, injured Johnny Davis, that it was going to be a situation they could actually manage. And so I thought that their path was going to be, you know, it's difficult because the way they play, but actually one that they could manage and manage they did. They were able to make it this far. And look, it just it just goes to show you, you know, TJ Otzelberger has done one hell of a job there. I mean, two wins last year and to revamp and redo everything and get to the NCAA tournament. Uh, Jamie Pollard said yesterday that they were informed of the first at-large team to ever go from two wins to the Sweet 16 the, 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 you know, the, the next season. So what a job Jamie Pollard did in finding Otzelberger, and, and what a job Otzelberger did this year. Texas Tech has uh, Duke coming up on Thursday. This matchup, is it is it very difficult for Tech to be able to run the floor with with Duke, how do they stay with them, and, and is it all about defense in this basketball game? Well, it's always about defense for Tech. I, I think the one player I'm watching is Paulo Bancaro, and everybody's like, of course, Josh, you're watching Paulo Bancaro. Why wouldn't we be? But the players that tend to beat Texas Tech are guys that can shoot over their defense. They can get to a spot. They can hit pull-up jumpers and they can operate in that kind of space. So I actually think Bancaro is a good matchup. Uh, it goes in Duke's favor. The problem is, is just the, the collection of guys. And for Texas Tech, one thing that we've seen work against Duke a whole lot, we saw it um, a little bit. We saw it with UNC to try to get Brady Manikin situations. And I think uh, um, Virginia Tech did a great job using Keve Aluma like this. They played Duke. You got to pull Mark Williams away from the basket, and Bryson Williams is the perfect kind of player to do that. I mean, he is he is I think still percentage wise maybe the best three point shooting uh, player on Texas Tech. So Bryson Williams is the key for Tech in my opinion. Bancaro is the key, hitting tough contested pull up shots, much like a Mike Miles could, as I mentioned. Uh, he is the key player when it comes down to it for Duke. So. This line, guys, too, it's been minus one in favor of the Red Raiders all week. I expect it to hold that way unless some late action comes in on Duke. But usually you see a spread like this swing. This line has held. So it seems like the public is pretty split on how this one goes down. But it just feels like Coach K's group doesn't have as much juice as we thought they would. Although I did like that win they had against Michigan State. But just... It feels like there's a real possibility that their run ends uh, against Texas Tech. Josh, there have been multiple coaching changes uh, throughout college basketball, whether you look at LSU, South Carolina, you know, what's going on at SMU. But the biggest one in our backyard is Jerome Tang leaving for K-State. What are your thoughts on the hire 
uh, overall, and what do you think he can do there at K-State? Well, I was upset that my Missouri Tigers did not go and get Jerome Tang. Uh, I, I was, I was, I was upset about that. Look, you know, you can make the argument that um, Jerome maybe hung around a longer than he had to, right? I mean, this guy is a really well-revered coach who is somebody that you know he's he spent a lot of time at Baylor, and um, you know, I, I think, I mean. I think the one positive is, is especially for Jerome is that he understands this league and knows how tough it is to win. Um, you know, he knows a lot of the principles that Scott drew has like, you know, it's tough to win with freshmen in this league, right? You need to have an older team. You need to stay old things that, that, you know, he's just in part, he's been imparted upon him and he's been a part of at Baylor. The one challenge guys is, wow, it's really difficult to have your first head coaching job in this league. Uh, it's, it's just such a difficult league to win. And now look, we've seen guys come in and win, right? TJ Otzelberger, great example, but you know, for Jerome to come to, to come, you know, uh, to the power five and this be the job that he takes, you know, having Kansas as your biggest rival, uh, it's not easy guys. It's really not easy. So I think it's a great fit. We know that there's a lot of capabilities at Kansas state. If Bruce Weber can do it, you know, they're going to win at a high level. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure Jerome Tang can, but it's an undertaking, right? And and I, um, Garrett, you and I talked about this, but the first step for them is keeping Nigel Pack. Now he'll mm-hmm. go through the draft process. Um, I don't know. He announced last night that he is. I don't know if he's putting his name in the portal too, but at least he can go through the draft process. Uh, so we'll see where that leads. But that, that's kind of step one for him is re-recruiting the guys they have currently and, and trying to see what he can build there. But I, I like Jerome Tang, and it was about time. Uh, and I hope he does well. You, you mentioned freshmen. Uh, Josh, talk a little bit about the game uh, last weekend, Baylor and North Carolina. It, it, first of all, it was I, I thought it was just a terrific basketball game, knockdown, drag out. But the, the freshman's so hand for Baylor going toe-to-toe with, with Baycott. I, I thought that was a great matchup, uh, particularly in that second half and into overtime. So it's, it's really funny you guys mentioned this. Um, I was doing an episode last night with our with our our draft guy at Locked On, Rafael Barlow. Does a great job covering the NBA draft. And one guy I really wanted to dive into was was Jeremy Sohan, and he said he went to a Baylor practice early in the season, and he was talking to some of the coaches, and they you know because Kendall Brown was kind of the guy to watch. That, that was the guy, and they said, uh, uh-uh, the guy you want to watch, it's Sohan over there. The guy just wants the big moments. He really does. And for him to come off the bench, 15 and 11 with three assists and a block and a steal as the three turn as a four turnovers. But this guy just wants to be in the mix. He, he wants to be involved. And so I think as an NBA player, this is a guy that we're going to be talking about because he's really raw, you know, in terms of what he can do. He only goes, he gets four or 14 that game, but, that's the most impressive four or 14 I've ever seen. This guy just wants to mix it up. He's always doing something. The blocks feel big. The steals feel important. And he really, you know, one man's loss, another man's gain. Hate to see Jonathan Chamwachachwa go out when he did. But I feel like Jeremy Sohan was the guy that stepped up and took advantage of that situation, especially down the backstretch. Get the job done? No. But that comeback does not happen without Sohan. And I'm excited to see, you know, maybe he stays. I, I doubt it. I, I think NBA teams are really keen on this guy. So I'm excited for his future. And I'm a little upset we didn't get to see more of him at Baylor, especially as he's peaking right now. 
Josh, baseball about to get started this weekend in conference play. Baylor and TCU, the only two teams with conference games underneath their belt right now. But is this conference going to be as competitive as basketball or close to being as competitive as basketball? Or is Texas Tech and Texas just that far ahead of everybody? Asking it to be as competitive as basketball, it's, it's, a, it's a quite the undertaking. Just because in basketball this year, there were no bad teams. Now, West Virginia wasn't great, but like West Virginia is a capable team. They, they, they knocked out Kansas State in that first round. So I do think that you do see some attrition at the bottom of this conference. I think it's tough for us to say, yeah, this baseball conference is going to be as good as it was in basketball. But like, because, you know, you still have, still have the Kansas of the world. You still have West Virginia who's not great. And, you know, I'm still curious. Oklahoma had a nice little, a nice little non-conference as well. But yeah, I mean, the, the nice part of the Big 12 for baseball is, is that the top of the conference is so deep. I mean, you've got TCU and Tech and Texas, although Texas hasn't had that little slide as, as of late. Um, and they've been able to actually, you know, just they've won five straight, so they kind of back off that slide. But uh, in Oklahoma State, and we'll see what OU does. So the top class of the conference might be better than basketball's top class was, but I think there is some attrition towards that back end that would make you say, eh, not as good as basketball was top to bottom. Josh, I, I know Baylor, for instance, got under, underway yesterday for spring football practice, and all eyes were on the quarterback position in the battle between Blake Shapin and Gary Bohannon. When you look at those guys, what are your thoughts on having two quality guys players that should step up and be starters. And then as far as the expectations for Baylor this year, when all your key games are going to be on the road. Yeah. Well, I think it's reasonable to expect a, a step back. Um, you know, you, cause you lose guys like Bernard and Patriots. It's just so important. I mean, it's so important, especially for a Dave Aranda team where you kind of understand what the identity is. Good news is they retain a lot of the coaching staff. Um, the shaping versus Bohannon battle is is one where um you know gary took such good care of the football early in the season and i think some of that went away late you watch that bowl game and you just kind of you shake your head and you say "Mm, i don't know if they can proceed forward with this guy at quarterback look now maybe gary gets better uh you know an off season but shaping to me with that first half that he had against oklahoma state showed you how capable of a quarterback that he is, that he can be. Now, obviously, there's a lot to, a lot to work out, but um, that ceiling for the offense, in my opinion, has to be higher this year. And, and I think Blake raises that ceiling for them offensively. And so because of that, this can't just be a, uh, at least right now, it does not appear to be an offense where it's like, all right, we know we're just going to hand the ball off a bunch. Guys like Abram Smith passing certain passing downs when we need to. A lot of the weapons are gone. A lot of their weapons are gone from Ebner to Smith to Thornton. I mean, they're losing a lot. So for them, the, and now the offensive line's back, which is huge. But I think you got to capitalize off that and play the more uh, not experienced guy, the more talented guy. I, I would put my money on Blake Shapin. I would back him. I, I know Gary's got the winning experience, winning pedigree, if you will. But to me, Shapin's a more talented player, and I think for their offense this year, they're going to need that. One thing that Dave Aranda talked about was uh, he would like to see one of the guys uh, win the job uh, in, uh, in in the spring, and, and that's exactly what has to happen, isn't it, Josh? I mean, it, you, you're, you don't want the coaching staff to pick. You want one of the guys to step up and win the job. 
Well, you, you know, you make a great point. Go back to the example last year, Texas gave us, right? I mean, how Steve Sarkeesian was, was pretty absolute in the, in the fact that he's like, nobody has won this job. Nobody has decided to go and grab this job by the horns. Now, look, you can have some patience and let this thing play out, but I think Dave Aranda is, is going to let these two guys sort it out, and I'm with you. I think Texas set the example last year of how talented a team could be but if the quarterback spot is not resolved, you don't know who your leader is. It makes, it makes things a lot more difficult. And you want to know who that guy is from day one. You need to know who to rally around. All the guys that I work with that played always say this. You guys know, you guys know this all the time. We need to know who our guy is. We need to know who our leader, our leader is. I don't think that's lost on Dave Aranda. I, I think he's going to make his decision. And I, I think, you know, one of these guys will win the job, but, uh, they got to step up and do it because once again, we saw what happened in Texas last year. And, and if you don't have that figured out, it can end in disaster. So it is paramount for one of these guys to step up and get the job done. With all the new coaches in the big 12, who has the biggest task in front of them in spring football? Hmm. Uh, it's, it's so hard. I, I think the, the obvious answer that you want to say is always Brent Venables, right? Um, just because, there's so much expectation, but I think their schedule actually looks pretty good. And so I think because they're, I think everything is kind of laid out um, in front of them. I, I would kind of go off the radar here. I think Sonny Dykes has a difficult job ahead of him. That recruiting class was not spectacular. We'll see what they can continue to do in the portal. We know there's going to be an exodus of players from a variety of places. When we go down the line here uh, after spring football, we're going to see the transfer portal once again, kind of crowd and some guys out of that, but they really got to make sure they hit that hard. I think TCU, there's so much thought about who is jockeying for position now in the new big 12 and Sonny Dice is going to have to hit the ground running to make sure his team is in a good spot. Because I think, you know, our, our guy, Steven Simcox will tell you like, that's a fan base that kind of expects to be there. And then they should, because of what their, uh, what their, you know, roster or what their, excuse me, their history entails. So I think Sonny Dykes has a reputation to uphold and kind of get back to. And I'm interested to see in spring football where that team is from multiple, multiple perspectives, multiple perspectives, excuse me, especially on defense, because it was not good last year. And obviously no Gary Patterson. So uh, there are some changes that to be made. So I would say Sonny Dykes at TCU has caught my eye. Josh, what are we working on for the podcast? Talking about which guys have made themselves the most cash in the NCAA tournament in terms of NBA Jeremy Sohan, we talk about him, Oshai Abaji, Christian Brown, Jalen Wilson, Isaiah Brockington, Jaden Ivey, can probably thank yes. John Morant for making him some money. So we, we kind of cover it all here. It's on the, the show today. You guys can find it on YouTube. Raphael Barlow breaks it all down with me. So that's what's coming up. And obviously a preview of the Sweet 16. As always, Josh, thanks. We appreciate your time. Appreciate it, guys.